Chapter Ten, Part Two of A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life by William Law. Chapter Ten, Part Two showing how all orders and ranks of men and women of all ages are obliged to devote themselves unto god every sober reader will easily perceive that i do not intend to lessen the true and great value of prayers either public or private but only to show him that they are certainly but a very slender part of devotion when compared to a devout life to see this in a yet clearer light let us suppose a person to have appointed times for praising god with psalms and hymns and to be strict in the observation of them let it be supposed also that in his common life he is restless and uneasy full of murmurings and complaints at everything never pleased but by chance as his temper happens to carry him but murmuring and repining at the very seasons and having something to dislike in everything that happens to him now can you conceive anything more absurd and unreasonable than such a character as this is such a one to be reckoned thankful to god because he has forms of praise which he offers to him nay is it not certain that such forms of praise must be so far from being an acceptable devotion to god that they must be abhorred as an abomination now the absurdity which you see in this instance is the same in any other part of our life if our common life hath any contrariety to our prayers it is the same abomination as songs of thanksgiving in the mouths of murmurers bended knees whilst you are clothed with pride heavenly petitions whilst you are hoarding up treasures upon earth holy devotions whilst you live in the follies of the world prayers of meekness and charity whilst your heart is the seat of pride and resentment hours of prayers whilst you give up days and years to idle diversions impertinent visits and foolish pleasures are as absurd unacceptable services to god as forms of thanksgiving from a person that lives in repinings and discontent so that unless the common course of our lives be according to the common spirit of our prayers our prayers are so far from being a real or sufficient degree of devotion that they become an empty lip labor or what is worse a notorious hypocrisy seeing therefore we are to make the spirit and temper of our prayers the common spirit and temper of our lives this may serve to convince us that all orders of people are to labor and aspire after the same utmost perfection of the christian life for as all christians are to use the same holy and heavenly devotions as they are all with the same earnestness to pray for the spirit of god so is it a sufficient proof that all orders of people are to the utmost of their power to make their life agreeable to that one spirit for which they are all to pray as certain therefore as the same holiness of prayers requires the same holiness of life so certain is it that all christians are called to the same holiness of life a soldier or a tradesman is not called to minister at the altar or preach the gospel but every soldier or tradesman is as much obliged to be devout humble holy and heavenly minded in all the parts of his common life as a clergyman is obliged to be zealous faithful and laborious in all parts of his profession 
and all this for this one plain reason because all people are to pray for the same holiness wisdom and divine tempers and to make themselves as fit as they can for the same heaven all men therefore as men have one and the same important business to act up to the excellency of their rational nature and to make reason and order the law of all their designs and actions all christians as christians have one and the same calling to live according to the excellency of the christian spirit and to make the sublime precepts of the gospel the rule and measure of all their tempers in common life the one thing needful to one is the one thing needful to all the merchant is no longer to hoard up treasures upon earth the soldier is no longer to fight for glory the great scholar is no longer to pride himself in the depths of science but they must all with one spirit count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of christ jesus philippians three eight the fine lady must teach her eyes to weep and be clothed with humility the polite gentleman must exchange the gay thoughts of wit and fancy for a broken and a contrite heart the man of quality must so far renounce the dignity of his birth as to think himself miserable till he is born again servants must consider their service as done unto god masters must consider their servants as their brethren in christ that are to be treated as their fellow members of the mystical body of christ young ladies must either devote themselves to piety prayer self-denial and all good works in a virgin state of life or else marry to be holy sober and prudent in the care of a family bringing up their children in piety humility and devotion and abounding in all other good works to the utmost of their state and capacity they have no choice of anything else but must devote themselves to god in one of these states they may choose a married or a single life but it is not left to their choice whether they will make either state a state of holiness humility devotion and all other duties of the christian life it is no more left in their power because they have fortunes or are born of rich parents to divide themselves betwixt god and the world or take such pleasures as their fortune will afford them then it is allowable for them to be sometimes chaste and modest and sometimes not they are not to consider how much religion may secure them a fair character or how they may add devotion to an impertinent vain and giddy life but must look into the spirit and temper of their prayers into the nature and end of christianity and then they will find that whether married or unmarried they have but one business upon their hands to be wise and pious and holy not in little modes and forms of worship but in the whole turn of their minds in the whole form of all their behavior and in the daily course of common life young gentlemen must consider what our blessed saviour said to the young gentleman in the gospel he bid him sell all that he had and give to the poor now though this text should not oblige all people to sell all yet it certainly obliges all kinds of people to employ all their estates in such wise and reasonable and charitable ways as may sufficiently show that all that they have is devoted to god and that no part of it is kept from the poor to be spent in needless vain and foolish expenses if therefore young gentlemen propose to themselves a life of pleasure and indulgence if they spend their estates in high living 
in luxury and in temperance, in state and equipage, in pleasures and diversions, in sports and gaming, and such like wanton gratifications of their foolish passions, they have as much reason to look upon themselves to be angels as to be disciples of Christ. Let them be assured that it is the one only business of a Christian gentleman to distinguish himself by good works, to be eminent in the most sublime virtues of the gospel, to bear with the ignorance and weakness of the vulgar, to be a friend and patron to all that dwell about him, to live in the utmost heights of wisdom and holiness, and show through the whole course of his life a true religious greatness of mind. They must aspire after such a gentility as they might have learnt from seeing the blessed Jesus, and show no other spirit of a gentleman but such as they might have got by living with the holy apostles. They must learn to love God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their strength, and their neighbor as themselves, and then they have all the greatness and distinction that they can have here, and are fit for an eternal happiness in heaven hereafter. Thus in all orders and conditions, either of men or women, this is the one common holiness which is to be the common life of all Christians. The merchant is not to leave devotion to the clergyman, nor the clergyman to leave humility to the laborer. Women of fortune are not to leave it to the poor of their sex to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, to adorn themselves in modest apparel, shamefacedness, and sobriety, nor poor women leave it to the rich to attend at the worship and service of God. Great men must be eminent for true poverty of spirit, and people of a low and afflicted state must greatly rejoice in God. The man of strength and power is to forgive and pray for his enemies, and the innocent sufferer that is chained in prison must, with Paul and Silas, at midnight sing praises to God. For God is to be glorified, holiness is to be practiced, and the spirit of religion is to be the common spirit of every Christian, in every state and condition of life. For the Son of God did not come from above to add an external form of worship to the several ways of life that are in the world, and so to leave people to live as they did before, in such tempers and enjoyments as the fashion and spirit of the world approves. But, as he came down from heaven altogether divine and heavenly in his own nature, so it was to call mankind to a divine and heavenly life, to the highest change of their own nature and temper, to be born again of the Holy Spirit, to walk in the wisdom and light and love of God, and to be like him to the utmost of their power, to renounce all the plausible ways of the world, whether of greatness, business, or pleasure, to a mortification of all their most agreeable passions, and to live in such wisdom and purity and holiness as might fit them to be glorious in the enjoyment of God to all eternity. Whatever, therefore, is foolish, ridiculous, vain, or earthly, or sensual in the life of a Christian is something that ought not to be there. It is a spot and a defilement that must be washed away with the tears of repentance. But if anything of this kind runs through the course of our whole life, if we allow ourselves in things that are either vain, foolish, or sensual, we renounce our profession. For as sure as Jesus Christ was wisdom and holiness, as sure as he came to make us like himself and to be baptized into his spirit, 
so sure is it that none can be said to keep to their christian profession but they who to the utmost of their power live a wise and holy and heavenly life this and this alone is christianity and universal holiness in every part of life a heavenly wisdom in all our actions not conforming to the spirit and temper of the world but turning all worldly enjoyments into means of piety and devotion to god but now if this devout state of heart if these habits of inward holiness be true religion then true religion is equally the duty and happiness of all orders of men for there is nothing to recommend it to one that is not the same recommendation of it to all states of people if it be the happiness and glory of a bishop to live in this devout spirit full of these holy tempers doing everything as unto god it is as much the glory and happiness of all men and women whether young or old to live in the same spirit and whoever can find any reason why an ancient bishop should be intent upon divine things turning all his life into the highest exercises of piety wisdom and devotion will find them so many reasons why he should to the utmost of his power do the same himself if you say that a bishop must be an eminent example of christian holiness because of his high and sacred calling you say right but if you say that it is more to his advantage to be exemplary than it is yours you greatly mistake for there is nothing to make the highest degrees of holiness desirable to a bishop but what makes them equally desirable to every young person of every family for an exalted piety high devotion and the religious use of everything is as much the glory and happiness of one state of life as it is of another do but fancy in your mind what a spirit of piety you would have in the best bishop in the world how you would have him love god how you would have him imitate the life of our saviour and his apostles how you would have him live above the world shining in all the instances of a heavenly life and then you have found out that spirit which you ought to make the spirit of your own life i desire every reader to dwell a while upon this reflection and perhaps he will find more conviction from it than he imagines everyone can tell how good and pious he would have some people to be everyone knows how wise and reasonable a thing it is in a bishop to be entirely above the world and be an eminent example of christian perfection as soon as you think of a wise and ancient bishop you fancy some exalted degree of piety a living example of all those holy tempers which you find described in the gospel now if you ask yourself what is the happiest thing for a young clergyman to do you must be forced to answer that nothing can be so happy and glorious for him as to be like that excellent holy bishop if you go on to ask what is the happiest thing for any young gentleman or his sisters to do the answer must be the same that nothing can be so happy or glorious for them as to live in such habits of piety in such exercises of a divine life as this good old bishop does for everything that is great and glorious in religion is as much the true glory of every man or woman as it is the glory of any bishop if high degrees of divine love if fervent charity if spotless purity if heavenly affection if constant mortification if frequent devotion be the best and happiest way of life for any christian it is so for every christian consider again if you were to see a bishop in the whole course of his life living below his character conforming to all the foolish tempers of the world and governed by the same cares and fears which govern vain and worldly men 
what would you think of him? Would you think that he was only guilty of a small mistake? No. You would condemn him as erring in that which is not only the most, but the only important matter that relates to him. Stay a while in this consideration, till your mind is fully convinced how miserable a mistake it is in a bishop to live a careless, worldly life. Whilst you are thinking in this manner, turn your thoughts towards some of your acquaintance, your brother or sister, or any young person. Now, if you see the common course of their lives to be not according to the doctrines of the gospel, if you see that their way of life cannot be said to be a sincere endeavor to enter in at the straight gate, you see something that you are to condemn, in the same degree and for the same reasons. They do not commit a small mistake, but are wrong in that which is their all, and mistake their true happiness as much as that bishop does, who neglects the high duties of his calling. Apply this reasoning to yourself. If you find yourself living an idle, indulgent, vain life, choosing rather to gratify your passions than live up to the doctrines of Christianity, and practice the plain precepts of our blessed Lord, you have all that blindness and unreasonable to charge upon yourself that you can charge upon any irregular bishop. For all the virtues of the Christian life, its perfect purity, its heavenly tempers, are as much the sole rule of your life as the sole rule of the life of the bishop. If you neglect these holy tempers, if you do not eagerly aspire after them, if you do not show yourself a visible example of them, you are as much fallen from your true happiness, you are as great an enemy to yourself, and have made as bad a choice as that bishop, that chooses rather to enrich his family than to be like an apostle. For there is no reason why you should think the highest holiness, the most heavenly tempers, to be the duty and happiness of a bishop, but what is as good a reason why you should think the same tempers to be the duty and happiness of all Christians. And as the wisest bishop in the world is he who lives in the greatest heights of holiness, who is most exemplary in all the exercises of a divine life, so the wisest youth, the wisest woman, whether married or unmarried, is she that lives in the highest degrees of Christian holiness and all the exercises of a divine and heavenly life. End of chapter 10, part 2, recording by Robert Hoffman.